0: This podcast has been underwritten by Cape Cod Healthcare because investing in the arts creates a healthier community. Hey Julie. Hey Amy, happy 2020. I can't believe it's going to be or it's 2020.
1: I know, I can't either. And you know, we've recorded so many great interviews that actually haven't made it on the podcast yet. Mm-hmm. So, this holiday time is really the best time to release this kind of material, don't you think? I think that is so true and there were so many good
0: conversations that we didn't get to share. So this is a really great opportunity to to share them today. We
1: learned so much through the year. We did learn so much. So much about exactly what we were trying to talk about, the creative process and how everybody has a different process and what they're doing and how they find inspiration. And uh, our first interview actually is from the Provincetown International Film Festival from this summer. so fun. So much fun. We were lucky enough to be at the beautiful Land's End in... Overlooking the harbor mm-hmm. and overlooking the uh, the tip of Cape Cod, we talked to Paul Downs colazzo the director of Brittany Runs a Marathon, and he talked about balancing business with creativity mm-hmm. and um, how he bought textbooks on Amazon and sort of yeah. taught himself more about All directing. All self-taught,
0: like that's pretty inspiring.
2: When you're when you are a writer, you have this very Philip Seymour Hoffman sort of wandering around with sandals and socks on, just trying to figure out how to crack your creative uh, nuts, you know? Right. And then the other part of you is like a businessman. You have to go out there and produce the film and you have to, you know. Like, figure what out.
0: are people going to like and well, resonate
2: with? Well, I, right? I focus less on that because I try to make, you know, I think that, I think this, for me, I can only tell you the story I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I always say, like, I can paint my own house or someone else's house and I'm probably really bad at painting someone else's house but I can paint my own house. But I want to explain, you know, in doing something you love, you're you the goal I think and inevitably if you if you do it with enough love, you're showing people why they should love it and then they can love it. So but I know there is a, a piece of that. People are trying to hit a moving target. You know, for me, my, I, my sensibility is my target. I just yeah. want to do something that I'm proud of at the end of the day, that mm-hmm. I feel excited to share with the world. And that, mm-hmm. you know, people say movies are like having a tattoo on your forehead. Especially right now, you know, for the rest of time, probably, you on any TV, you will be able to pull up this film. And that is daunting and scary mm-hmm. because it's a tattoo forever. People, right. you know, will, will know that before they know you. Right. But there's this other part of you that has to, you know, put pants on in the morning and write an email, and figure out how to how to like communicate with people. And then you throw directing on top of that. This is my first time as a director. You really have to. Um, it's 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 this bizarre mix of vulnerability and control all the time, and fostering a, an environment for vulnerability under very controlled circumstances. And so I'm learning how to do that in my life now because of this directing this film. So my process is very sort of. Um, You know, sweatpants and deep thoughts and late nights, and then uh, emails. You know, and then doing and then doing going out into the world as a way of being a real person and showing that you can tell this story. It's not just for yourself.
1: Right, right. And when you gave your talk, you were uh, talking about buying a bunch of books on Amazon to teach yourself how to direct a movie coming from stage. You know, how do you direct a movie? So uh, that's really inspiring. Yeah, to think about that. This you had the idea. You wrote the script. You taught yourself how to direct, and then you your movie gets picked up for you know distribution, and yeah. you get a great deal. So, so for people who may think, oh, you know, I don't have experience. What what's your advice?
2: Oh, I mean, <clears throat> you got to be. Pe- I heard something lately. I don't know where I heard it about changing the idea of a self critic to a self mentor. So you do need to you know I've learned that I do need to criticize myself in in order to grow I can't just my approach can't just be like well I need to find a way to feel good about this and that gets me in trouble sometimes because some things you can't fix and I have a hard time feeling good about those things but on the other side of that there's a lot you can change about yourself it's sort of the theme of the film you can Mm -hmm. take control of certain things and if you find a a way to be compassionately critical of yourself you can grow and for me you know I I trained a little bit as a a director in school because I studied drama A little bit as an actor, a little bit as a designer, but not as a writer at all. And then I sort of went out and was like, I want to figure out how to do this. So I did that. And really, like, there's so so much at our disposal now as far as ways to educate yourself and learn and, and grow because of the Internet and because, you know, of... Amazon and books and, and the way that we can get information and tutorials on YouTube. I'm still watching tutorials on YouTube all the time. I'm like, fascinating. Thank and, God for
1: Talks. Yes, TED yeah. Talks. Yeah, t- 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 all t- of that. <laughs> There's so much. So
2: really, if I've found that if my mentality is, okay, I want to grow, mm-hmm. the real process is figuring out what exactly I'm supposed to be learning. Not that I can learn. So, you know... Uh, you, you you want your writing to be sharper. Well, then you start looking at sharper writing, and then you go down a dialogue path. And you're like, oh, that's kind of helpful. It's not quite what I was looking at. T- Ten years later, you realize it's critical thinking that you want to be flexing that muscle on. And then now you buy a critical thinking textbook, and, you know, there are online college classes. And that's my favorite thing now, is buying textbooks and doing the sort of exercises.
0: I really enjoyed this interview with Susan Blood. So many of her um, observations... Uh, about how her process really resonate to me after months and months of, you know, more interviews with more mm-hmm. people and more discussions. I feel like I almost rip her off all the time with some totally. of her ideas. <laughs> so, I mean, if anyone's in the process of writing a book or doing any kind of creative outlet, it, she's got such great ideas. You have a family, you have a job and then you have this creative outlet that you need to express. So what do you do to keep yourself healthy and productive like like a journaling or
3: eating candy. <laughs> I could not have fed you a better question because I actually have an answer for that. <gasps> For the first time in my life, so my husband, <laughs> my husband tells this story about um, a college campus where they didn't put any sidewalks or paths in. They just planted grass everywhere, and then where the people walked and wore in paths, that's where they put the the sidewalks and and you know actual legitimate paths. Smart, right? So um, that's what I've done, and it is finding a ritual in the place of least resistance finding your practice where it already is and connecting to it which is like you talk to 10 different people about their process and their you know their rituals and the things that they do and you get 10 different answers and so when you try to like oh i'll write every night before bed i Can't do that because I'm asleep. I can't do it in the morning because I'm getting people and myself out the door. I can't do the other nine people's process. Um, But I do spend a lot of time waiting for people, and I spend a lot of time. (laughs) I I spend a lot of time with my day broken up into pieces, and there is so much space in those in-between times that you don't realize you have until you find them. And so I got myself a little laptop that is just pretty much all writing, and it lives in my bag, and I take it everywhere. And so I am literally writing in parking lots for 20 minutes at a time. That's amazing. Yeah, that's brilliant.
1: Instead, you're not – that having that fight of, like, I am supposed to – taken away must really free up your creativity
3: and instead of I'm supposed to it's like oh, I get to oh,
1: mm, and I
3: yeah. only have 20 minutes to do it so get to it and so you really I end up staying m- way more focused because that time it's like the sort of the balsamic reduction of writing time <laughs> um <laughs> The other thing that I do is um, I drive my daughter to school most mornings and the library doesn't open until 10. So I drive to a parking lot and I get whatever work writing that I don't really want to do but have to done so that by the time the library opens, I can just write. So I only have one all day for me writing day a week where I can and it's not even all day it's until two but that's all day right um so I really take full advantage
1: of it also with the Provincetown Film Festival we talked to John Cameron Mitchell who's best known for Hedwig and the Angry Inch and he was talking about Inspiration and how he is always grabbing things that people are saying um, from his everyday life.
0: I felt like I was sitting with a rock star. I could barely speak. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he does have a rock star quality. He's very cool. Yeah, he is very cool and inspiring. We are so excited here at the Creative Exchange Podcast to have John Cameron Mitchell with us. Thank You're you. And so. Uh, we talk about the creative process, and we, your creative process, I feel like, is all-encompassing into your life. So, yes. So, <laughs> let's talk about how you start a project, or an idea, or where where does it come from?
4: Well I write stuff down all the time that when I'm reading or watching or hearing people say stuff. So. You know, that, that's a bank of materials I can always draw on. Uh, and different things come from different places. You know, Hedwig came out of the Plato myth, The Origin of Love, and then hanging out in this drag club. A lot of it came, you know, out of where I was, but it started with a kernel, which was that metaphor. Um, my new podcast musical Anthem Homunculus was really a kind of response to my boyfriend passing away uh, 15 years ago and uh, the feelings that came out of that so it started as a Hedwig sequel because it was a convenient you know mouthpiece but then I got rid of that and it became more autobiographical so that's You know, if I'm doing an alternative autobiography, uh, you've got plenty to draw on there. And then there's other things I have nothing to do with. You know, I'm working on a circus project and I go, you know, do research and then things, Mm -hmm. ideas come up. You know, so to me it's about getting out into the world, writing down everything that's interesting. Because you never know when you're going to use it. Mm -hmm. And you never have a blank page if you've got years and years of raw observations Mm -hmm. and thoughts you know so it starts with that
0: and when and you say oh, I'm sorry no you go when, ahead when you say you write it down are you I know this is like probably a corny question but I find myself saying oh you know I gotta write this feeling down I gotta remember what it's like to go through this day today because it was such a crazy day and I, I want to remember this yeah and then sometimes the day gets away yeah and like I write it
4: on my phone really fast you do okay yeah, yeah, so I don't lose it and you know sometimes it's just you overheard somebody and someone said, uh, you should really stop talking to yourself. And the other person says, that's what I keep telling myself. You know, <laughs> and it's like, I that's going to go in somewhere. i got to write yeah. that down. And But it gives you a, you know, it just, it gives you grist for the mill, you know. And obviously you have to have a very strong thing that you're starting with, you know. In my case, it was my boyfriend's death, and for Anthem, uh, for other things, that are based on you know pre-existing stories like Rabbit Hole or How to Talk to Girls at Parties, which were both based on earlier earlier things, play and a, and a story, and then you can extrapolate from there. If there's something, uh, the short story, the Neil Gaiman short story for my last film was. Very, you know, beautiful but sketchy and, you know, there's plenty to extrapolate. So having something to start with and then just building in things about that interest you in the world, you know, right now. Everything I write tends to encompass everything I'm thinking about in that time of life.
1: And so it sounds like um, people are are very inspiring to you, whether you know them or not, just sort of observation. Yeah, I don't
4: like writing journal. I don't like to write for writing's sake. I know some people do need to do that to get in the habit. And the beginning is always slow. You know, you're just kind of gathering your raw materials, which I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. When I go to Portland in July to act in the show Shrill... I have two months to write mm-hmm. while I'm not acting. So that's perfect, you know, mm-hmm. like a few distractions, get the project started, you know, I'm working on a pilot, mm-hmm. and then uh, it'll be ready for October, you know. So it's sometimes it's going somewhere else to start it, because mm-hmm. once you've got it, starting is the hard part. Go somewhere where you have to write because there's nothing else to do. Mm-hmm and then once you got it going you can come home and continue the momentum so sometimes going away is really useful
1: we also talked to painter Pete Hawking on this season the second season mm-hmm. and he was talking about how physically moving mm-hmm. is inspirational to his painting mm-hmm. and i thought that was well, that was pretty interesting and um Kind of going along the theme of ingesting your life and then turning it into your art.
0: Mm-hmm. I know, and it's really reflective in, in his own paintings. If you have a chance to see his work and follow him on Instagram, he's always outside, even on the worst cold days. He is. It's very inspiring.
1: <laughs> he is. Let's take a listen. I was watching um, a talk from the gallery. Okay. Um, and you were talking about walking. Oh, and yeah. how that's part of your process so I'd love to hear um, about that
5: yeah so I, I mean the first thing that I said about riding my 10 speed from Wellfleet uh, to um, Provincetown uh, as an artist it's really important for me to immerse myself in a landscape I'm not one of those people who can be like alright well I'm going to go to Rome for two weeks and make a body of work and you know I'll, I'll have this like Roman series um I <laughs> The landscape has to be in my head and in my body. And for me, I think the best way to do that, um, you know, when I was a kid, it was the bicycle. But now it really is walking. And, um, uh, you know, being in nature and moving through it and being present to it repeatedly. So I have these circuits that I walk um, that are... uh, in a certain way they're they're a little boring and a little predictable um but they allow me to develop over now a series of years an intimate understanding of the place and and they allow like if if you go to my instagram feed you'll see that like it says this is visual research and you know i've got i'm like really fortunate to have a lot of instagram followers who love cape cod and um you know and I, I will get notes from people saying um, I follow your Instagram and every morning like I just look for like the photographs of Cape Cod and it just helps me get through my day because I remember how special this place is and so I, I recognize that um, right now as a painter I, I'm really doing this uh, project that is um, intimately connected to this place and um, I, I also believe that the creative process is embodied. Um, I think we want to believe that writers sit at desks and type. And, and when I'm writing, I have to walk. And I have these little um, uh, paper bound notebooks that I keep in my pocket and I like scrawl things out and then I go back and compose. But um, painting is the same way for me. Like I, I have to be. In the landscape and moving through it and I think consequently people are like there's a lot of motion in your paintings I'm like yeah because <laughs> I was like booking through that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so uh yeah walking you know uh walking shakes stuff through your body it, it, it allows um mm-hmm. uh ideas and experiences to um move through you
1: one of the honorees at the Provincetown Film Festival this year was uh, Judith Light. And you love her.: She's great.: yeah, She's really you love great. Her. And it was fantastic to have a few minutes to talk to her, and um, I asked her about how she sort of disappears, having such a recognizable face, especially for 80s kids.:
0: Oh, I know. I, know. Um, I mean, I think about her in the soap opera.
1: Right. I think everybody has a different Judith Light
0: um, and reference. Then, and then you reminded me that she was in, like, all these things. And I was like, oh, my God. That's right. She was. She does. She's almost invisible. And she's able to take on things that, you know, other people could never take on. Mm-hmm. Very challenging characters.
1: Can we talk a little bit about your process and how how are you able to do that?
0: I don't know. I don't know how I disappear I know that I have really remarkable scripts great writing fabulous team of people to work with great directors and so what happens is that something just comes through me I allow for it to come through me because that's what my I think my job is that's what I think that people want to see they want to know or see themselves in some way so I I do my very best to make that possible for them so that I'm not in the way.
1: We were able to talk to Jillian Bell, the star of mm. Brittany Runs a Marathon, and a very familiar face in mm-hmm. comedy. In the past few years, she was uh, a writer at Saturday Night Live, mm. and also um, a Steen sealer. <laughs> Steen,
0: a what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> scene stealer. Oh, a scene. She's stealer. a scene stealer. I can't <laughs> say. It. This is why she's the professional actor, and I am not. So she's a scene stealer. I would say in most things. And this was uh, a starring role in Brittany runs a marathon, and she talked about representing real women mm. in this role. So good.
3: For me, it was always. I never wanted her to be the butt of the joke.
0: If she is trying to make us laugh it's because it's her making us laugh and not what we usually see in movies and and the character just showed a different side it showed layers to this type of a person which is very similar to who I am in real life and and no one gets to see that part they get to see the the jokes the jokes the jokes and so I love that this movie starts out that way and then it flips it on its side and and sort of shows a more a realistic human woman (laughs) I love this piece. This is from the Creative Exchange live event that we had last spring, which was the wrap-up of season Mm -hmm. one. And one of the um, more interesting questions that happened that night was the, how do you know something's finished? How do you know it's done as an artist? And I thought that really provoked some good conversation.
1: It did. And it was, you know, including writers and visual artists. so
0: Storytellers. Yeah. Yeah. Painters. It was cool. Take a listen.
1: So that's a big question. When is a piece done? And Joe, that was thrown to you. You're on the, you're on I spot. have a
6: problem with that, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very big problem with that. Uh, so, you know, the creative experience is not one that has a time schedule. There's been work that I've done for 15 minutes that comes out better than works that I've worked on for years. Um, so it takes a, takes a good eye, it takes a good heart to sit there and go this is it, This is, it, or better yet, stop, put it away, look at it again tomorrow, look at it again next week, look at it again next month, make another decision at a later time. But I also, for, I mean, honestly, that's the reason why I work multiply at one time, so that I don't really kind of run into that problem too much. There's also, there's also a time when you say to yourself, I want this to be a certain way. And I will push it until it gets there. And sometimes I'll go beyond that so to see what happens when you get past it. I'll paint past the painting many times, sand it back and repaint it. I get these guys come over and they go, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? But it's better, at least I knew that I had something at some point. And I mean, you you know that you have it. And the, but these things aren't tangible. You can't always grab them. You can't always hold on to them. And then what I think is great might not be what you think is great anyways. So I just have to take, keep it, remember who I am. And so I don't know if I really answered that. No, just get it where he's going to It's going to be a little bit different for everybody. for medium you work with, yeah. You know, uh,
7: I, I think finishing a painting Sometimes happens in stages also. I mean, sometimes it's done and you put your brush down and you walk away. Other times you think it's done and you put it on the wall and then you go back and you go, whoops,
8: <laughs> whoops.
7: And you bring it down and, it, oh, and sometimes they're really big and to bring them down off the wall is a lot of work. And you walk around it and you do a few little things and you put it back up on the wall, going, I got it, I got it, I got it, it's done. And then you go, whoops
8: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
7: so it, sometimes it happens in phases where you see little tiny things you didn't see at first mm-hmm. you yeah. thought you nailed it and you hadn't quite nailed it there's still uneven unanswered little problem areas that's you know with a large piece you find lots of little problem areas actually probably with the small piece too but that's the way I say this eliminating the problems until it's finished sometimes Sometimes it's finished in one
1: stroke, you
7: know.
0: Susan, I'm curious. That's exactly, I was going to say, writing is... Like, the painting, painting I can
1: relate to the writing, you need to enlighten. Are you like,
0: and then, and then,
3: (laughs) (laughs) and then? There is a point where it just feels complete with a a story that... um, And then, uh, for to bounce it off of somebody if they have questions that they're like what are you talking about here then you have to go back in but
7: i think do you you ask friends and family to read when you're when you're finishing a a passage or a book or a paragraph or
3: a a chapter um i do i do have a couple of people that read for That's me good. and with me yeah it's otherwise it's an echo and, chamber and,
7: and even if you don't trust them you still ask them to read
3: yeah thanks for advice I'm not gonna take <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, sometimes bad advice gives you
1: more perspective yeah. right you're like
3: okay well let's, Yeah, wait, hang right. on no I love that paragraph that paragraph is genius <laughs> <laughs>
8: I find a lot of times when I'm working on a drawing and, and, and it doesn't even matter if it's a kind of an abstract drawing or literally a plan for building, but that my brain sort of turns off and my fingertips sort of just start working and I'm actually um, not thinking about it a whole lot. Um, and so I, I tell, and I know this is about art, not architecture, but I, I tell a lot of my clients that the drawings sort of do the work for me. Um, I can't walk into someone's house and and tell them what I would do, like a lot of people think I'm supposed to. I have to go back and work on the drawings, and the drawings do the work. And I almost feel like there's this audible click when I feel like things sort of are set for me, and I I do kind of almost hear it, it'll be like, (laughs) and it'll be like, And I can sort of relax, like I can start breathing again, like everything sort of has fallen into the place it's supposed to be. And there's often not a rationale about alignments or anything like that. And, and I draw the same way. So I, I feel like even when I'm doing a landscape drawing or something that it's, um, it's not, it's, there is this sort of, sort of um, and I don't know if it's intuition or what, but I feel like it's finished because I feel that click. I hear that sort of, whew, you just erased enough, or you've just scratched away enough, or something. But I definitely know that feeling of you think you've done it, and then it's sort of out of the edge of your eye, and yeah, there's this right. sort of little yell going, No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening to our year end special of mm-hmm. the Creative Exchange podcast. Mm-hmm. And Julie, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. And Happy New Year to all of our listeners. And no matter what year it is, arts matter. Support for the Creative Exchange Podcast is made possible by Delbrook JKS. Music for the
5: Creative Exchange Podcast is the work of Jordan Renzi. Produced in association with Billingsgate Records by Jordan Renzi and Andrew Staker at Big Red Studios in Wellfleet. The Creative Exchange podcast is brought to you by the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod, Provincetown Community Television, and the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth.
1: In the desert, to the oasis.